On Friday, they cursed the rains, and by Sunday... Well, this is a seemingly inexpensive way to pay citations. Not every student supports. Welcome to Silhouette, a new podcast by The Locus. I'm your host, Matt Shaw. On today's episode, last Thursday, the US Supreme Court made a surprising ruling against the Trump administration for the second time in a week. The 5-4 decision blocked President Trump from revoking DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals legislation, which grants a lifeline to dreamers, the hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants brought to the US as children. How are you managing over there with the pandemic? Oh, man. And you would think that the pandemic never existed in the United States, the way people are acting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's a worrying story for another day. Would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Ileana Pesh-Cruz. I'm 23 years old. I am a DACA recipient. I've been a DACA recipient since the program started eight years ago. Um, I'm originally born in Mexico, Mexico City, Mexico. We moved to the United States when I was about two months old, I was an infant. If the name sounds familiar, it's because Ileana and I have talked before for a separate story. Ileana, how did you come to be in the States? Well, first, my dad, when he was actually my age, so about 22, 23, he came to the States just to work um, and try to make some money and bring it back to Mexico. So originally, that was kind of what my dad's focus was, but then when he realized how much of a better life it is over here and how really like unsafe and unstable Mexico and their their government and really the economy was getting, he decided to have us all come out to the United States. So he was, he settled in New Hampshire already And then when he was able to get an apartment and, you know, something for us to come home to, it was my mom, my older brother, who was six at the time, and myself. My mom had walked the desert with us for about six days. And then we had to cross the river, which was extremely, extremely dangerous for really anyone to do, let alone a mother with two kids. And then we were taken to what, you know, is widely known as kind of like a a safe house. If you don't mind me asking, what is a safe house? So it's um, usually any any American family that's willing and offering to house immigrants coming from the southern border um, and just kind of providing them with the basic needs so that they can get in communication with the family members who are staying in the U.S. for their next kind of destination. So I remember we stopped in Arizona. It was a very small kind of like a small house and there were tons of families there, mostly just mothers and children, but there were tons of children, tons of mothers. You know, it was a small home because it was kind of like in hiding. And I remember my mom telling me that since immigration is very heavy down on the southern states of the United States, that ICE would come very frequently to certain homes, certain knock on neighbors' doors, see if they've asked if they've seen any immigrants cross the border. And um, my mom would always say, you know, when there would be a knock at the house, the the kind of host mom would 
make sure all of us were very quiet, make sure the kids were as quiet as we could be. My mom would recall we would have to hide in like a closet just to stay quiet so we wouldn't get, you know, deported back. But that's kind of the the gist of coming over here. What were your days like then growing up in the U.S.? They were very normal to kind of generalize it. I, you know, I played with kids in the neighborhood. I went to school. I spoke English. You know, I just learned a lot of the American culture um, and not so much of, you know, my Mexican heritage. It was a lot more of the American culture. We lived in a very small, poor area of the city, really, where kind of there's a lot of vi- like gang violence and low education, low quality education. But, you know, I, I, I can just recall just being normal, like playing with my neighborhood friends, playing in school, learning, never really knowing that I was very different amongst my peers. When did you find out that you were undocumented and how did that change your life? So, like I said, I always thought I was living like a normal life. I was doing normal things until, you know, here in the States, especially in New Hampshire, you can get your license at 16. And so, you know, I was approaching that age and I, you know, wanted to get a job. I wanted to get a car. I wanted to all the things that, you know, normal high school students here in the States do. And then when I asked my parents um, if I could, you know, get a job or start driver school, that's when they had told me, you know, they sat me down and they had told me that it's different for me. And I really didn't understand because like I, I love school and I've always wanted to go to college. And so I didn't think that was going to be an issue either. And then, you know, driving, going to college and getting a job really were like the three things I always wanted to do. So when we talked about those, it came about that I wasn't going to be able to do any of those because of my status. It was just very very like self-identity like stealing in a sense like I felt like I didn't know who I was I felt like I didn't fit in I was very frustrated and I wasn't frustrated at my parents because I know they did what they had to do to you know keep us safe and give us a better life but I was just more so frustrated that um, like the administrative and government system just made it a lot harder for people like me to just do do good and do normal things. I wonder if you have any memories of that time before the DACA legislation was brought in. I do, actually. So before they brought DACA in, I remember I was was wrapping up my um, junior year of high school, going into the summer before my senior year. And so everyone was preparing, you know, for college and, you know, visiting schools. And I was actually in a two-year licensed nursing assistant program at my high school that they offered and I remember that I was I I remember this so vividly it's actually kind of crazy I was taking um, a medical terminology class and that course could be accredited for like a college credit and you know I thought that it was just like so cool and I thought I could do it before I found out I wasn't documented and I remember when my teacher had asked me Um, Would you like this to count towards, you know, a college credit so you can use your credits to transfer into a university later on? I said, yeah, you know, that's a great opportunity. I would love to. And I remember she gave me the form to fill out with my parents on the form and asked for your social security number. And I was like, I don't know my social security number. I remember asking my mom and my dad, well, asking my mom, and she almost seemed a little like ashamed to tell me that I didn't have one. 
she didn't fully tell me. It wasn't until the the form was due a couple of days later. And I was like, I really need the social security number. And then that's when they broke the news to me. But I remember that so vividly because I didn't, I took the course and I got an A in it, but I couldn't get any credit for it. Hmm. That all changed then with the DACA legislation. Do you remember how you heard about it? I was, I was at school. I was in high school. I want to say I was about 16 and a half almost. And there had been like, you know, we kept up with the news very frequently when former President Barack Obama was there because the Latino community was very much for him. And he really did a lot to kind of speak for us in a sense. And so we had been keeping up with kind of what DACA is, what the DREAM Act is, you know, who are the, who are these potential dreamers? And I remember my mom and dad were like, if this, this was actually after they told me I was undocumented. They had told me, you know, if, if you meet the requirements and you, you know, you're able to qualify for it, we're going to put an application the day that he instates it um, for my brother as well, too, because he's, he's a DACA recipient as well. So they were like, well, we're going to do it. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost us, you know, whatever to help you and your brother just have a better life. And I remember I was at school, normal day, and I came home and my mom had told me, you know, President Obama dropped the Dream Act and, you know, she was just so happy. And I was just, it didn't really sink in yet, as like surprising as that may be. I really didn't understand what that meant really like to to qualify for that. My mom was just really happy. So I was, I was happy, but I really didn't get in. It really didn't sink in until we sent it off. And I remember receiving my, my approval along with my work permit. That's when I was like, wow, I can go to school. I can work. I can get my driver's license. And that's the first thing that I did when I received my work permit. I started applying for jobs online because I have a social security number now. My dad enrolled me in driver's school, um, and I was starting to look at colleges more and look at, you know, where can I go? How much is it going to cost? It was really just a, a very overjoying moment. Did things change once Donald Trump was elected as president? Absolutely. Absolutely. When Trump was running, every, I remember being in college and everyone thought it was a joke. Nobody thought that he would ever get elected. Everyone just was like, you know, this is just a publicity stunt. This is a Hollywood stunt. And then, you know, once the results came in and he was elected as our president, it was, it, I could tell you that I've never seen a quieter environment on my college campus. It was like a dark, rainy cloud was just hovering over all of us. But with DACA specifically, hate, racial discrimination, a lot of that became so much more prevalent and just so, so, quote, normal for people to just be so hateful and just so not, not caring, not caring how humans should be caring. It just, and he, he allowed it, you know, he even participates in it and he encourages it. And like I said, the hate and the racial discrimination just became so prevalent when he, when he even started in his campaign. The Trump administration then moves to end DACA in 2017, plunging the hundreds of thousands of recipients into an uncertain future. Ileana, do you remember where you were when you heard the news that President Trump wanted to rescind the program? I was here in my 
in my dorm actually um it was my junior year of of college actually ending my junior year going into my senior year and I was again I was doing homework I was getting ready to end the spring semester here continued my day as normal and then all of a sudden my mom again was the one to let me know you know he's he's stopping the program I was just so confused I I use this phrase quite often I was like a walking question mark I didn't know what to do like what's next for me should I even finish school should I keep working like what should I pack my stuff up in my dorm and call my dad to come pick me up in Ohio like what 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 is the next step what do you want from us like what do you what are you getting from this what are you getting from taking lives that have worked so hard for that like what it just didn't make sense it was just so much frustration and again I was around friends and I just felt so alone I'm in a room full of people and I feel alone how would your future change if DACA was taken away? People are always like, you know, this is your plan A, but also have a, a backup plan, have a plan B. I don't have a backup plan. I don't know about other recipients, but I know for sure I don't have a backup plan. So my life would change drastically. You know, I with DACA, I get a social security number, which allows me to work and pay taxes. And, you know, I get a work permit, so I'm allowed to get a job you know, get my license. And I've been with the program since it started. So just to realize that all the hard work over the past eight years, and for that to just be up and taken from me, I would have to quit my job. I would have to stop school. I'm in graduate school now. So I would have to stop school. And I'm, again, so close to finishing my degree. I'd probably move back with my family. And I'd probably just hide. I would live in the shadows. I would live just in the background. But that would definitely bring me bring me back to a whole new state of confusion and a state of, you know, who am I? So just to get this straight, you'd be hiding in the country that you've lived your whole life in. Yeah, I'd be hiding. And that would be really until either Donald Trump decides to do a massive roundup of DACA recipients or of immigrants as a whole and deport them, or I would have to self-deport. You know, I'd have to make the decision to move back to a country that I love. You know, I'm, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of where I come from and I'm not ashamed of it, but I don't know it. I don't recall anything of it. I couldn't tell you north, south, east, and west of Mexico like I can tell you in the United States. I couldn't tell you any states in Mexico besides my home state. But I could tell you the 50 states, their capitals, and the history of almost every single one of them here in the United States. I just, I would be hiding. I would either hide and just live in the dark, wait to get deported, or self-deport. The Trump administration's decision was challenged, and the legal battle made its way up to the Supreme Court, which took its time to evaluate the case before making a decision. What's it like going about life in the U.S. while the highest court in the land decides whether or not you can stay there? I've had to I've had to just live my life as if, you know, nothing is happening. I've had to just, you know, focus on my school, focus on my work and really just really just live my life as if nothing is happening. And I know that doesn't sound like what something I should be doing, but 
I've coached myself to not be scared, but that doesn't mean that I don't have moments where I really get, I really do get scared. I do get nervous, but I can't, I think because I've just, I'm so self-driven and I have a community, a family, so many supporters that want to see me succeed and want to see me break all these stereotypes. And I I don't want to let anyone down. It's hard. It's hard to keep it together when you really don't know yourself and there's nothing that you can do. In a surprising decision, the Supreme Court actually ruled against the Trump administration, keeping the DACA legislation in place for now. How did you hear the news? You know, when I heard that the case was jumped to the Supreme Court and June was going to be like the decision month and any Monday in June and that one Thursday in June could be that could be that day that they decide, well, you know, what's going to happen. I was on the Supreme Supreme Court.gov website every morning at 10 a.m. my time refreshing the page and for three Mondays in a row it was no decision no decision no decision on DACA Um, and you know I was like you're gonna make a decision like don't get discouraged Ileana you know I just had a bunch of support you know wait till Thursday you know Thursday might be that day and so I remember and actually this is kind of funny I actually said um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wake up before 10 a.m to refresh the page and look at the news whatever I wake up to is just whatever I wake up to and I remember I was laying in bed, sleeping, and my phone kept vibrating, and I kept hearing it because it was on my nightstand. And I was like, okay, like I, I guess I'll wake up. And so I was looking at it, and my supervisor, she was the one that actually broke the news to me. She, she has been such a great support system. You know, that morning, she sent me like five texts in a row. She was like, you know, I'm praying for you. You know, the decision is coming soon. We'll, we'll handle it together. Don't worry. Um, And then she sent me a screenshot of the website saying that they are rescinding Trump's initial request to terminate the program. And I remember reading that and I was like, wait, what? I was like, that's not true. I was like, this cannot be it. And she was like, she texted again. She was like, she's like, we we won, you know, DACA won. They're not, it's not going anywhere right now. And I was like, I have to, I have to check um, the website. I'm not believing this. And so I checked it and I was like, wow. Just like my jaw was dropped, you know, my fiance was crying. He was so happy. My mom was calling me and she was, um, she was so happy and, you know, emotional. And I was just like, I didn't, it didn't hit for like a, a minute. It didn't hit. And then I stopped everything. I put my phone down and I just cried. I was so relieved. I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. I was so happy. I was so overjoyed. And I couldn't believe that, you know, all the prayers and all the support, everyone that's, you know, called their their state representatives that have signed petitions. It all just, it all was worth for something. In a series of tweets after the news broke, President Trump said nothing was lost or won and that his administration would submit new papers in another attempt to end the program. He then added that he has wanted to take care of the DACA recipients more than the Democrats. Ileana, do you feel safe? I want to say we're safe right now. I want to say I'm safe right now. I saw his tweet 
when he when he actually said that. And I just rolled my eyes because I was like, oh, my gosh. We're, just give us let, – let us have a break. But I would say I'm safe right now. I would say that we're safe right now. But like I said, by an inch, by a hair, we're safe. And we shouldn't, as a, as a DACA community and as a, you know, whoever's supporting us, we should not get comfortable with this decision that the Supreme Court made. We need more people. We need more supporters. We need more people in power speaking for us, but more importantly, listening, listening from a, from a humanitarian perspective. You know, whatever we have to do to get our citizenship that we deserve, we will do it, but we want it in a just way. We want it in a clean way. We don't want loopholes. An executive order is not enough. We need this to be a full, a full bill, a full law. What are you going to do now, moving forward? For the moment, I'm going to keep being in school. I'm going to continue working. I'm going to continue my activism. I'm going to continue educating myself as much as I can and educating supporters. I'm going to encourage people to, to be a voice for you know those that live in the shadows. I'm just going to continue the work that I've been doing and just hope and pray that it works out in my favor. You know, this isn't the end. You know, our fight's not over. But for now, we can breathe. I don't have to be stressed. I don't have to be nervous about anything for right now. For right now, I'm going to, I'm going to take my little win. I'm going to take it. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. In the days following the Supreme Court's ruling, Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf called DACA unlawful and said the administration is still looking to end it. 